Zechariah 12, 1 to 9. Prophecy of the attack on Jerusalem and its deliverance by the hand of the Lord. Verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord, who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I am going to make Jerusalem a cup that causes reeling to all the peoples around. And when the siege is against Jerusalem, it will also be against Judah. And it will come about in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will be severely injured, and all the nations of the earth will be gathered against it. In that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with bewilderment and his rider with madness. But I will watch over the house of Judah while I strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. Then the clans of Judah will say in their hearts, A strong support for us are the inhabitants of Jerusalem through the Lord of hosts, their God. In that day I will make the clans of Judah like a fire pot among pieces of wood and a flaming torch among sheaves. So they will consume on the right hand and on the left all the surrounding peoples, while the inhabitants of Jerusalem again dwell on their own sites in Jerusalem. The Lord also will save the tents of Judah first, in order that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may not be magnified above Judah. In that day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the one who is feeble among them in that day will be like David, and the house of David will be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. And it will come about in that day that I will set about to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Amen. The prophet introduces this next oracle by calling it a burden. This next prediction or prophecy by calling it a burden. We saw this for the first time in chapter 9 verse 1 where he also called it the burden of the word of the Lord. Here, too, it's a burden. And why is it a burden? Because it's dealing with heavy and weighty matters. What matters in relation to the nations rising up against Jerusalem to attack it, and then God delivering delivering Jerusalem from the invasion of her enemies and destroying the enemies. And that is a burden, a burdensome or judgmental kind of oracle to present. This oracle in this part, verses 1 to 9, deals specifically with God's purpose, God's deliberate gathering of the peoples against Jerusalem, and then God's deliberate, intentional destruction of those nations that he himself gathered against Jerusalem. In other words, this will clearly show the sovereignty of God that he's the one that gathers and he's the one that scatters and destroys. To introduce this fact that God is powerful, almighty, sovereign, verse 1 says, Thus declares the Lord, and who is the Lord? Who are we talking about? Who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man 
within him. This is indicative of his ability to create the heavens and the earth. He is the God of the universe, the powerful God of the universe, the one who not only created the world, but he created the world to prepare it for the day of judgment, according to Romans 3, 6. For otherwise, how will God judge the world? He's the creator of the world to prepare it for judgment. And this judgment we see unfolding in these verses. Vindication, justification, redemption of his people in contrast to judgment on the world that works against God's people. God prepares all for that day. Verse 1, let's analyze each of these phrases a bit more to show that this is indeed God calling himself or describing himself as creator. In verse 1, when it says, stretches out the heavens, stretches out the heavens, this reminds us of what he did in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Correct? In Genesis 1, he created the heavens and the earth. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 42, 42 verse 5, we have similar phrases as we have here in Zechariah 12. Isaiah 42, 5 says, Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it, and spirit to those who walk in it. God is the creator. He's the one that sets the inhabitants on the earth, and he's even the one who gives everyone his spirit or his soul, his inner man, so that it animates and sustains the body until death. For just as the body uh, the, sp- the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. James 2.26 Another place in Isaiah is found in 44.24. Isaiah 44.24, where he says, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, and the one who formed you from the womb. I, the Lord, am the maker of all things, stretching out the heavens by myself and spreading out the earth all alone. He alone is the great God and the great, great creator of the heavens and the earth. Nobody else, no idol, no other God, no other conception of God, only He. He's the only one who has done so. Then we come across this second phrase. He lays the foundation of the earth. That also God laid the foundation of the earth on the first day of creation. From Genesis 1, 1 to 5, in the beginning God created, created the heavens and the earth. And the next verse says, And there was darkness over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Well, where were the waters resting? They were resting on the foundation that he created back in verse 1, when he laid the foundation of the earth. That's from Genesis 1, but also we find the same in Job, Job 26, Job 26, verse 7. 26, 
7. He stretches out the north over empty space and hangs the earth on nothing. Then we find in Psalm 102, Psalm 102, 25 to 26. Psalm 102, 25 to 26. Which passage is cited in Hebrews 1, 10 to 12? Hebrews 1, 10 to 12. But reading in Psalm 102, 25, it says, Of old you founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure, and all of them will wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them, and they will be changed. God is the layer of the foundations of the earth. This is also a very familiar New Testament phrase. From the foundation or since the foundation of the earth, such as in Ephesians 1.4, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Same with Zechariah. Zechariah teaching us that the one who founded and sustains the world with his mighty power is still at work in preparing the world for judgment. And who exactly will he judge? In Zechariah 12.1, it also says that God is the one, the Lord is the one who forms the spirit of man within him. Forms the spirit of man within him. We saw that earlier in Isaiah 42.5, but we see it as well in Isaiah 57. Isaiah 57.16. Isaiah 57 and verse 16. For I will not contend forever, neither will I always be angry. For the spirit would grow faint before me and the breath of those whom I have made. God is the creator and the sustainer of the spirit or the breath that is within us, according to Isaiah 57, 16. Another place will be in Hebrews 12, verse 9. Hebrews 12, verse 9. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? God is the Father of spirits, the one who created all of them. And if He is the creator of our spirits, He knows what's inside of us. He judges the heart. And on the day of judgment, the secrets of men's heart will be revealed. He will judge everyone. 1 Corinthians 4, 1-5 teaches that the secrets of men's heart will be revealed. He'll know everything and he will present everything to judge man, whether his external deeds or his internal deeds, whether it's his words or his works or whatever is in his heart. He knows it all because he's the one that created the spirit of man. Having presented this powerful God, the creator and judge, now, what is God going to do? Zechariah 
Behold, I am going to make Jerusalem a cup that causes reeling to all the peoples around. And when the siege is against Jerusalem, it will also be against Judah. Jerusalem is the capital city. Judah is the kingdom. It is the territory around it. In the New Testament, it is known as Judea because of the Romans and the Roman pronunciation. But here, Judah, the kingdom of Judah, in the time of the Romans, the territory of Judea, is what's in view here. The city, the capital city, and its inhabitants throughout the territory beyond the capital city. And what is God going to do? He's going to make Jerusalem a cup that causes reeling to all the peoples around. God is going to make Jerusalem like a cup of liquor when one drinks it or when one is forced to drink it, it causes the man who is forced to drink it to become drunk, to totter, to reel, and eventually to vomit and whatever. That's what happens. And God is saying here, the people who deserve this are going to receive it, and I'm the one who's going to make it happen. I'm going to give them a cup of judgment, and this is the punishment that they will receive for what they do. It is the Lord who is the primary actor, the primary one doing this. Because he says so. Does it not say in verse 1, Thus declares the Lord, and then in verse 2, Behold, I am going to make, I am going to make Jerusalem a cup that causes reeling. Keeping our place here, we see Psalm 75, verse 8. Psalm 75, 8. For a cup is in the hand of the Lord, and the wine foams. It is well mixed, and he pours out of this. Surely all the wicked of the earth must drain and drink down its dregs. The cup is in the Lord's hand, and it's in the Lord's hand because he has a powerful hand since he's the creator and sustainer of the world and the judge of all the world. And then he has made the wine foam well mixed and he pours out of this. But then who is supposed to drink it? Drink down its dregs, all of it, the wicked. The wicked are supposed to do it because God will make them do it. God will force them to do it because it is the cup of his Judgment, the cup of judgment. Further, we find in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, chapter 51. Isaiah 51, 17. Isaiah 51, 17 to 23. 51, 17. Rouse yourself. Rouse yourself, arise, O Jerusalem. 
You who have drunk from the Lord's hand the cup of his anger, the chalice of reeling, you have drained to the dregs. There is none to guide her among all the sons she has borne, nor is there one to take her by the hand among all the sons she has reared. These two things have befallen you. Who will mourn for you? The devastation and destruction, famine and sword, how shall I comfort you? Your sons have fainted. They lie helpless at the head of every street, like an antelope in a net, full of the wrath of the Lord, the rebuke of your God. Therefore, please hear this, you afflicted, who are drunk, but not with wine. Thus says your Lord, the Lord, even your God, who contends for his people. Behold, I have taken out of your hand the cup of reeling, the chalice of my anger. You will never drink it again. And I will put in it, put it into the hand of your tormentors, who have said to you, Lie down that we may walk over you. You have even made your back like the ground and like the street for those who walk over it. In Isaiah, first he tells Jerusalem, I made you first drink this, but after I have settled you, settled accounts with you, I'm going to make your persecutors, your tormentors, do what I did to you. They will have to suffer from this chalice of reeling under my judgment. They will have to do so after I've lifted it up away from you. Jeremiah, Jeremiah 25. Jeremiah 25, 15 to 26. Jeremiah 25, 15. For thus the Lord, the God of Israel, says to me, Take this cup of the wine of wrath from my hand, and cause all the nations to whom I send you to drink it. And they shall drink and stagger and go mad because of the sword that I will send among them. Then I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations drink to whom the Lord sent me, Jerusalem and the cities of Judah and its kings and its princes, to make them a ruin, a horror, a hissing, and a curse as it is this day. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, his servants, his princes, and all his people, and all the foreign people, all the kings of the land of Uz, all the kings of the land of the Philistines, even Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron, and the remnant of Ashdod, Edom, Moab, and the sons of Ammon, and all the kings of Tyre, all the kings of Sidon, and the kings of the coastlands which are beyond the sea, and Dedan, Temah, Buz, and all who cut the corners, of their hair, and all the kings of Arabia, and all the kings of the foreign people who dwell in the desert, and all the kings of Zimri, all the kings of Elam, and all the kings of Medea, and all the kings of the north, near and far, one with another, and all the kingdoms of the earth which are upon the face of the ground, and the king of Sheshach shall drink after them. God is the one sending the prophet to send a message of judgment to all these nations. It is God, and God is going to force or cause them, according to verse 15, 
Cause all the nations to whom I send you to drink it. They shall. And then 17 says, Then I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all the nations drink to whom the Lord sent me. God says, cause it. And then Jeremiah reports that he did make the nations drink. And who are these nations? First, we find, just like in Isaiah, look at verse 18, 25, 18, Jerusalem and Judah, the people of God, the people of God who should have known better and did not repent and believe in the gospel, God punishes them and then he punishes the rest of the nations. To the Jew first and also to the Greek is both the blessing but also the cursing, according to Romans 2. Romans 2, 1 to 11. And the same here. And this even in the same with the book of Zechariah, as we've seen since chapter 1. God punishes his own people justly, righteously, but he also punishes the nations who refuse to believe in him. Okay, so God is the one sending this punishment and making the people experience his judgments. We continue in chapter 12, verse 3. Zechariah 12, 3. And it will come about in that day that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will be severely injured. And all the nations of the earth will be gathered against it. A day is coming when God makes Jerusalem a heavy stone. And when he says he makes it a heavy stone, he doesn't mean that the people or the whole city will become a huge mountain and a heavy stone in a literal way. He means it metaphorically. He means, I will make Jerusalem as a heavy stone. The difference between a simile and a metaphor, a metaphor does not say as or like, but a simile uses these prepositions as or like. But in this case, he doesn't do it. He just uses a straightforward metaphor. I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone. And in English, we have metaphors too, common ones too, daily ones, such as when we say shoulder of the highway, shoulder of the road. We are using the word shoulder as a metaphor. We're not saying um, the part of the road that's like a shoulder. If we were to do that, it would take too many words. And that's the purpose, one of the purposes of a metaphor is to be straight to the point. So we just say shoulder of the road instead of that part of the road or the edge of the road that's like a shoulder. Instead of doing all that, we just say shoulder of the road. Same in the Bible and elsewhere. Metaphor, Jerusalem is, he says, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone. And these are throughout the Bible. Many, many places throughout the Bible where the people or somebody is considered like this. And we find our our best example of this in Matthew 21. Matthew 
21, Matthew 21, 44, in reference to Christ. Zechariah is not talking about Christ, but all of the people together considered as a stone. But in this case, it is a reference to Christ himself. Matthew 21, 44. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. But on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. If we fall on this stone, on Christ, we will be broken to pieces, which means we will be humbled, we will be put in place so that in our humility we repent and believe in the gospel. But the opposite happens to those who don't fall on the stone, but if the stone, the heavy stone, falls on the one, the individual, then it's too late. Because when the heavy stone falls on the man, it will scatter him like dust. That's what Christ will do. And scattering us like dust is a symbol of punishment. This is the way in which God means it here. That when the heavy stone is for all the peoples, anybody who tries to manipulate, maneuver, lift up, avoid, evade the heavy stone, he will be severely injured. It's not going to happen. Because God's power, God's powerful force, working against wicked people, will be successful. He will crush or scatter or obliterate, pulverize all wicked people. And they won't have any victory. God will win. Okay, further. Verse 3 says, actually, before we go to um, the last part of verse 3 and 4, another place where we find this analogy of a stone um, being created and then destroying and dominating everything is found in the book of Daniel. This is Christ also. Daniel 21, I'm sorry, Matthew 21:44 and Daniel chapter 2 verses 44 to 45. They have reference to Christ being a stone that crushes. And we who belong to him in the body of Christ, we are the same against the enemies. Daniel 2:44. This is the the interpretation. The actual vision or dream was mentioned earlier, but now the interpretation of it, 244. And in those days, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms but it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, 
the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. Now, this is the messianic kingdom in verses 44 to 45. The messianic Christological kingdom. And it is a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Why? Because it's the God of heaven who will set up this kingdom and He ordains that it will never be destroyed. Keep your place there in Daniel 2 and we'll see similar words in chapter 7, 7, 13, and 14. 7, 13, and 14 of Daniel. I kept looking in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the people's nations and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. The Son of Man of verse 13 is Christ, the familiar title that he used to identify himself. And Christ has eternal dominion, everlasting dominion, a kingdom that will not be destroyed. And he is the one when he builds up his kingdom, he crushes all preceding kingdoms, all earthly kingdoms. And when he crushes them, it says in Daniel 2.45, even those made of iron, bronze, clay, silver, gold. Why so? Because the great God is doing this, the God of heaven, the creator, verse 44. He is doing so through Christ. And the same in Zechariah 12, 12 verse 3. And nobody will be able to withstand. People think that they are ready for God. They're ready to meet God. They are ready for the day of judgment. And they would rather deal with the judgment of God than with the judgment of God's people on the earth whenever we are preaching repentance to them. They said, I'd rather just deal with God than you. You're too harsh. You're too critical. No, no. They don't know who God is. They don't know who God is. They have to deal with Him, not us, on that day. He is their main judge. We will be His vehicles of judgment, but He will be their judge. Okay, now, proceeding in Zechariah 12, last part of verse 3, and then into 4. And all the nations of the earth will be gathered against it. This we find already mentioned in verse 2, that God is going to gather the nations to be against Jerusalem. And then when they are gathered, what is going to happen? Verse 4, In that day declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with bewilderment, and its rider with madness. But I will watch over the house of Judah while I strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. God gathers all the enemies to attack the people of God, but then God is going to strike every horse 
and its rider with bewilderment and madness. He's going to drive them crazy. The, the soldiers are going to be driving the horses, but God's going to drive the soldiers and the horses crazy. That's the irony. God will do so. He says so. I will strike every horse with bewilderment and its rider with madness. Which is not the first time God has done so. Exodus chapter... Exodus chapter 15, verse 1. Exodus 15, 1. We see there, this is in celebration after Pharaoh and his army were drowned in the sea, in the Red Sea. They sing this song, a righteous song. It's, it's known as the Song of Moses and Israel. Exodus 15.1 Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord and said, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. They celebrate the righteous judgment of God against the unrepentant wicked Egyptians. Verse 1. It's not as though, however, that it's just Moses and all the men. We pick it up at verse 20. 15, 20 to 21. Or shall we just start at 19? 15, 19. For the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea on them. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land throughout the midst of the sea. And Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's sister, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dancing. And Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. Miriam and all the women who celebrate in the parade, the victory parade here, they are singing, they have their instruments, they're dancing, and they repeat this one refrain from the song. Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. They understand, even the women do, the righteous judgment of God. The righteous judgment of God against unrepentant sinners. Shall we also see in the book of Jeremiah? Jeremiah chapter 51. Jeremiah 51, 15. Jeremiah 51, 15 to 23. In this section, these last chapters of Jeremiah, he has been preaching against the nations, the unrepentant surrounding nations. And at this point, he has embarked on preaching against Babylon since chapter 50. And he'll continue through chapter 51. But in 51.15, God has already announced that he is going to raise up the Chaldeans, not the Chaldeans, the, uh, the Medeans and Persians 
the Medeans and the Persians against the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. And that's who is in view here, who will be raised up by God to punish Babylon or Chaldea. And this is how God does it and explains it. 51.15 It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding he stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens, and he causes the clouds to ascend from the end of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. All mankind is stupid, devoid of knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his molten images are deceitful and there is no breath in them. They are worthless, a work of mockery. In the time of their punishment, they will perish. The portion of Jacob is not like these, for the maker of all is he. And of the tribe of his inheritance, the Lord of hosts is his name. He says, You are my war club, my weapon of war, and with you I shatter nations, and with you I destroy kingdoms, and with you I shatter the horse and its rider, and with you I shatter the chariot and its rider, and with you I shatter man and woman, and with you I shatter old man and youth, and with you I shatter young man and virgin. And with you I shatter the shepherd and his flock. And with you I shatter the farmer and his team. And with you I shatter governors and prefects. God is the one who uses instruments of violence for the violence of punishment that he inflicts on unrepentant sinners. They're powerful horses their powerful soldiers, their powerful weapons of war will not defeat God. God will defeat them because he's the creator of the heavens and the earth. Zechariah 12.4 also says, But I will watch over the house of Judah while I strike every horse of the peoples with blindness. God shows here that he's making a distinction. He's watching over his people, the house of Judah, but at the same time, he's punishing and striking down the enemy. That should not surprise us. Did we not, do we not know in the book of Genesis 18 and 19? Well, actually before that, in the book of Genesis, chapters 6 to 9, God spared Noah and family, eight men and women, but destroyed the rest of the world. Billions of people. In Genesis 18 and 19, God spared Abraham, Lot, and Lot's family, at least from the imminent destruction of fire and brimstone. He spared them from that, but he did not spare Sodom and Gomorrah and the rest of the cities that refused to repent. He made a distinction there, destroyed uh, most of them, and saved a handful of them. In the time of the Exodus, this is the main analogy that we have here. In the time of the Exodus, did not God make a distinction 
during most of the plagues in Egypt where he punished the Egyptians and Pharaoh, but he did not punish Israel during most of the plagues? Correct? So he spared Israel during most of them. Further, when it says here that I will watch, but I will watch over the house of Judah, this is similar to what he did during the Exodus, during the crossing of the sea. We find this in Exodus 13, 21, that, that God is watching over. That is, in his heights, he's looking down on the earth and he's taking care of his people. He's not asleep. He's not blind. His eyes are not closed. He's not taking a nap. There's no deficiency in his knowledge, God's knowledge. But we need to understand in our own words that God cares for us. And that's why the Bible says he watches over or he looks down on the earth and looks at us and cares for us. Exodus 13, Exodus 13, 21 says, And the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and in a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. He guided them and watched over them throughout their wilderness wanderings there. Also, 1419, 1419, while they're still crossing. It says, 1419, And the angel of God, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. This was just before God swamped and drowned the Egyptians. He made a distinction between the two camps. Verse 24, 1424, and it, 24 and 25. And it came about at the morning watch that the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. And he caused their chariot wheels to swerve and he made them drive with difficulty so the Egyptians said, Let us flee from Israel, for the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. Indeed he was, and he did successfully destroy them all, because he was watching over the people of Israel against the Egyptians. This is the way God has been, and even in Zechariah, Zechariah has been saying again and again and again that God is watching over his people. Even though things are bleak, things are down, are dark for them, whatever the circumstances, they have to trust God, that God's power one day will prevail over their hardships. Remember, from Zechariah 1.7 to 2.13, illustration after illustration taught that God is in their midst and God is watching over them. From 1.7 to 2.13. Then specific verses 3 9, 3 9. For behold, the stone that I have set before Joshua, on one stone are seven eyes, 
Behold, I will engrave an inscription on it, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. Seven um, eyes on the one stone. Why seven eyes? 4.10. 4.10 says, For who has despised the day of small things? But these seven will be glad when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These are the eyes of the Lord, which range to and fro throughout the earth. The eyes of the Lord, which range to and fro throughout the earth. And another one is in chapter 9, verse 8. 9, 8. But I will camp around my house because of an army, because of him who passes by and returns, and no oppressor will pass over them anymore. For now I have seen with my eyes. God is watchful and mindful on guard to protect his own people. We'll, we'll pause there for now and pick up next time and complete verses 5 to 9 next time. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.